Hey everybody, it's Mark. Welcome or welcome back to the New Spring Church Podcast. Hey, at the end of this episode, please take a moment to subscribe to our YouTube channel and download our free New Spring app where you can access all of our recent message content. Actually, the app is the easiest way to share all this content with a friend, and it's the easiest way to keep up with everything going on around here at New Spring. But most importantly, I hope the following presentation inspires you to take your next step in your faith journey. Enjoy. Wow, when Jesus got up that Easter morning, sometime between three and six o'clock, he got up with a full schedule, a full agenda. I don't think I'd ever thought about that before until I got ready for this message. But sure enough, all Easter long, Jesus had people to see. Started with Mary Magdalene, and then some of the other ladies who had followed Jesus, and then one by one and group by group, he ultimately would talk to the men in the group. It is interesting that the women were quick to believe and the guys were a little slow. Not much has changed in 2,000 years. But by the end of that Easter, that Sunday, most of Jesus' followers knew the news. They knew he had come back to life. So why did Jesus have a full agenda? Why was it so important for him on that Sunday, after all he had been through, to meet with his followers? Well, there are a couple of reasons that I think it would be good for us to think about today. First of all, he had something to prove. Did you know that scripture tells us the resurrection of Jesus is the most important fact in your life and mine? In the book of Romans chapter 10, verse nine, the Bible puts it this way. If you will confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that God has raised him, Jesus, from the dead, you will be saved. Hey, think about that. The one material fact required to get into heaven is faith in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So he had something to prove and he did prove it. In fact, the resurrection of Jesus Christ may be the most provable event in ancient history. There were the eyewitnesses, many who saw Jesus after he arose from the grave. The disciples, of course, the women, the other followers of Jesus. And the Bible tells us that 500 people saw Jesus at one time. Skeptics who like to try to disprove the resurrection say that perhaps there was a hallucination. But for 500 people to have a mass hallucination I don't think that's very likely, but it wasn't just that. It wasn't just eyewitnesses. It was that the eyewitnesses who saw Jesus went to their deaths, many of them deaths of persecution, to substantiate the truth that they saw Jesus rise from the grave. In fact, many were told that they wouldn't have to die if they would just recant. You know, people sometimes will die for something they have been taught or heard, but people don't die for something they know to be materially false. And yet, These disciples were willing to give their lives to testify to the fact they saw the risen Jesus. There are so many other proofs. Of course, there was the tomb. You know, the people who hated Jesus wanted the Romans to seal the tomb so that no one could steal the body of Jesus. And so they did seal the tomb. They stretched a cord across the mouth of the tomb, waxed on both sides, and the Roman government put 16 of the world's 
finest fighting soldiers outside of Jesus' tomb to prove that it was secure. And yet, it didn't stop Jesus from coming out of the grave. Well, we could go on and on talking about the various ways that the resurrection of Jesus Christ is provable. But I think it's the second reason why Jesus had a full agenda that Easter day that's maybe even more important to us, especially given all that we're going through. Jesus had a full agenda because there were people he wanted to comfort. There were followers of his who had had their world turned upside down by the crucifixion of Jesus. We see that in Mary Magdalene. You know, when she's there on that Sunday morning, she expects his body to still be in the grave. And when the body is not there, she thinks someone has taken it. And she winds up actually talking to Jesus, but she doesn't know it's Jesus. She thinks it's the gardener. And, and she says to Jesus, again, not knowing it's him, sir, if you've taken his body away, in other words, if he's too much trouble, just let me take charge. And that's when Jesus said, Mary, and by speaking her name, she knew it was the Lord. It's that speaking of Mary's name that makes me feel the second reason for Jesus' full agenda. He had people to comfort. He had people to tell everything's going to be okay now. Of all the meetings that Jesus had on Easter, one of my personal favorites is the one he had that afternoon. Let me set this up. A couple of Jesus' disciples, followers of Jesus, are on their way home. They're quitting. And, and we understand why. I mean, they had probably followed Jesus for three years. They'd seen him do all kinds of miracles. And as we'll see in just a moment, they believed he was the Messiah. But Friday came, Jesus died on a cross. They took his cold body off the cross, put it in a grave. And then of course, Saturday was the Sabbath when nobody could do anything. But now it's Sunday afternoon and they're quitting. They're going home and they're not in a good mood. In fact, as they're walking to the little hometown of Emmaus, about seven miles northwest of the city of Jerusalem, they're kind of arguing with each other. The Bible indicates by the language, it was a little heated discussion. Probably they were mad at each other that they had followed Jesus and he had proven not to be what they hoped he was. So suddenly Jesus shows up, but the Bible tells us that for some reason and in some way, God kept them from recognizing Jesus. They just know a stranger has joined them on their little road home. And so Jesus, they didn't know it was Jesus, but Jesus asked them, what are you guys so upset about? And they said, the things that have happened. And Jesus was like, well, what things are you talking about? <laughs> I, I hope that God kept this on videotape because it had to be almost humorous because after all, Jesus was the one who died on the cross. But Jesus said, well, what things are you guys talking about? And they said to him, you must be the only person in Israel who doesn't know the stuff that's gone down this weekend. Have you ever felt like God was the only one who didn't understand what was happening in your life? I mean, they didn't know they were talking to Jesus. Had he pulled his hands out of his pocket, the nail prints would have still been in his wrist where the nails were. And yet Jesus said, what things? You know, I've always thought this was a little humorous. But I don't think that Jesus asked them the question to be funny. I think he asked them what things so that they would tell him their story. You know, Jesus wants us to tell him how we feel. I mean, he knows everything, but at the same time, he wants us to be honest with him about our emotions. If they had known who Jesus was, they would have been, they would have been inclined to give Jesus 
you know, the kind of answers that Jesus would have expected, but by hiding his identity, he summoned from them to express what they were feeling in their hearts. And so they begin to answer Jesus' question. This is recorded for us in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 24, in the 19th verse. They said, well, there was this guy named Jesus. He was a prophet who did powerful miracles, and he was a mighty teacher in the eyes of God and all the people. But our leading priests and other religious leaders handed him over to be condemned to death, and they crucified him. And then these next three words, we had hoped he was the Messiah who had come to rescue Israel. Every time I read that verse, I think about how many times we think about our experience with God and we think about our plans and then God doesn't necessarily come through the way we had hoped he would. And that's what happened with these two followers of Jesus. They said, we had hoped that he was the Messiah, but then he got crucified. One of the greatest challenges of any interaction with God is to understand that at some point, the all-powerful, the all-knowing God is going to come into contact with a broken world. And how do those two facts meet each other? We live in a broken world that can't be fixed, and yet our God is an all-powerful, all-loving God. And sometimes we struggle with what we feel is cognitive dissonance. How can God be everything that the Bible says he is and yet I live in this broken world. And these two followers of Jesus, they felt that way. They said, we had hoped that he was the Messiah, but he got himself crucified. Basically, they said what we had hoped for all went to nothing. And that's when Jesus asked them the question. Here at New Spring, we've been in a series called Red Letters, The Questions. Red Letters is about the words of Jesus because in some Bibles, they're presented in red ink. But the questions that Jesus asked, and he asked many, call for responses that really frame the Christian experience. And today, in our last message of that series, we're going to look at the question that Jesus asked these two followers of Jesus, and he asks us today. He asked them, don't you see that these things had to happen? And he went on that the Messiah had to suffer and only then enter into his glory. And then he started at the beginning with the books of Moses and he went on through all the prophets, pointing out everything in the scriptures that referred to him. Some have said this is the greatest sermon of Jesus not recorded in the Bible. But think about this. Jesus started in the book of Genesis, and he showed these two followers of Jesus prophecies that would come true in the life of the Messiah. I don't know what all he showed them. Maybe he showed them Genesis 3, which talked about the descendant of the woman who would ultimately crush Satan. Maybe he used Isaiah 53 where the Bible says, but he was pierced for our rebellion, crushed for our sins. He was beaten so we could be whole. Maybe he quoted Daniel 9 where the Bible says, the anointed one will be killed appearing to have accomplished nothing. Or he may have quoted, and I feel sure he did, Psalm 22, which is one of the most graphic depictions of crucifixion 300 years before the Carthaginians even invented it. In Psalm 22, verse 16, the Bible says, an evil gang closes in on me. They have pierced my hands and my feet. They divide my garments among themselves and throw dice for my clothing. But then he might have given them the scripture about the resurrection. In Psalm 16, verse 10, 
The psalmist writes, you will not abandon me to the grave, nor will you let your Holy One see decay. So when they said all this went to nothing, Jesus started from the book of Genesis and said, don't you guys understand that these things had to happen? Don't you understand that God had a purpose and a plan with not only Jesus' life, but his death and now his resurrection? I don't know how long he talked to them, but it looks like from the text that it was pretty much the rest of the afternoon. Because after a while, well, they actually invite Jesus to come in and have dinner with them. And as he is blessing the bread and giving it to them, Jesus suddenly disappears. And they realize that all that time they have been talking to Jesus. In one of the greatest statements in the Bible, the two guys say to each other, didn't our hearts burn within us while he talked to us and while he explained the Bible to us? It is interesting to me that these guys were ready to quit because Jesus had not fulfilled their plan of what they had expected him to be. And yet Jesus called them to look at the prophecies throughout the Bible, some 300 of them that talk about Jesus in the Old Testament. And he said, don't you understand that these things had to happen? I love that part of Jesus' day, that first Easter, when he talked to these two followers of his. Because in a way, I feel like I've been there so many times. I expect God to work in a particular way, but things don't quite happen the way I expected them to. I mean, a loving, perfect God in a flawed, broken world, the point where those two intersect sometimes leaves me questioning and wondering, just like these two guys did. I mean, as I said, they were on their way to quit. They had hoped that Jesus was the Messiah. They had put their confidence in him. They had hitched their wagon to his star. And I'm sure that on Palm Sunday, when he rode into town on that donkey and the people were crying, Hosanna, they thought, well, well yeah, everything we thought was going to happen is going to happen. Jesus is going to become king, and he's going to take care of all the political problems of our world. But on Friday, the people were not crying, Hosanna. The enemies of Jesus were crying, crucify him, and he got crucified. And they put his body in the grave, and these two guys were ready to quit because it didn't happen the way they thought it was going to. But then Jesus showed up and he asked the question, weren't these things part of a plan? Didn't God have an agenda here? Didn't, didn't God have something that he needed to accomplish? And one thing that we always need to be clear on, the meanness and the hate and the wickedness of a broken world are never God's idea. But what's important for us to understand is that these things don't stop God from working. I was thinking about these two men when they were arguing before Jesus showed up. And I'm sure that whatever language they spoke, whether it was Aramaic or Greek, I'm pretty sure that they kept using the word nothing. This all thing has gone to nothing. You know, we got nothing. We thought we were gonna have everything all turned into nothing. I'm sure they said the word nothing a lot of times. We had hoped, but it all went to nothing. Well, you know, I think they were right about the word nothing. They just were wrong in the way they were using it. Because as I look back on their experience and as I look at our experience today and what we're dealing with, there are three big nothings that all of us have. The first big nothing is nothing catches God by surprise. You know, they were surprised by the crucifixion, but for it to be prophesied 4,000 years before in the Bible, it was very clear that all those things didn't catch God by surprise. 
And I'm sure you and I are dealing with a lot of things today that shake our world and, and maybe even shake our world to the place where we wonder about the existence of God or we may wonder if God really loves us as much as we thought he did. And yet it's important for us to realize nothing catches God by surprise. Here's the second big nothing that you and I have. Nothing can stop God from loving you. In the book of Romans chapter 8, that question gets asked, is there anything that can stop God's love? And the Bible goes on to give us this long list of painful things that this broken world puts in our way. And the Bible says none of these things stop God from loving us. I mean, it is a broken world and there's a lot of pain and you and I ultimately will experience some of the pain of this broken world and some of you are experiencing right now. But I can tell you today that one thing that you have that's very precious to you is that nothing can stop God from loving you. And then there's the third big nothing that we all have, and that is that nothing gets in the way of God's plans. God has plans, and his plans are for a perfect world that we sometimes call heaven. And it isn't just heaven. God has plans for our life down here. And there are times when the broken pieces of our world don't seem to make sense, but it's so important to remember that nothing gets in the way of God's plans. One more time, nothing catches God by surprise. Nothing can keep God from loving you and nothing gets in the way of God's plans. And that's what Jesus had to explain to these two followers of his as they walked together on the road to Emmaus. Well, as we get ready to close out the Easter message today, I wanna to close where we started. The Bible tells us that the most important fact in our lives is that Jesus arose from the grave. Remember Romans chapter 10, verse nine, that if you will confess with your mouth and believe in your heart, that's just your inner person, how you really feel inside. Believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. You know, we said nothing can get in the way of God's plan. Easter is God's plan. That's the whole message of Easter. The Bible tells us that we are flawed, broken sinners. And there's no way that we can have a relationship with God on our own because of our sin. So God sent his son Jesus into our world. And he lived that perfect life that you and I can't live. Hey, I can't be perfect for 10 minutes, but Jesus lived a perfect life. He was challenged with every temptation that any of us can experience. And yet the Bible says he never once gave in to sin. But after living that perfect life, he laid that life on a Roman cross and he died to pay for those sins. The Bible tells us that the blood that came out of Jesus' body was a currency that paid for everything you and I have ever done wrong. And three days later, he walked out of the grave under his own power, proving that God's plan was finished and ready for anyone, you or me, who is ready to make that all important decision. At New Spring, I often tell people that God has a deal on the table right now. And that deal is in force and it's perfect for Easter. The Bible says anyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So wherever you're watching from, any place in the world or right here in Kansas, if you are willing to invite Jesus Christ into your heart and life, you can be forgiven, you can be adopted into God's family, and you can be assured that heaven is your eternal home. I wanna pray a prayer right now that invites God's plan to take effect in our lives. Scripture says, whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And these aren't magic words, these are just words that call out for God's plan to be active in our lives. 
If you are willing to believe that Jesus died for your sins, and if you're willing to believe that God raised him from the dead, and to invite Jesus into your life, it'll all happen right now. So I'm gonna pray this prayer line by line so you can decide if you want to own these things and say them to God. Are you ready? Let's pray. Dear God, I know I'm a sinner, but I believe you love me very much. I believe Jesus died to pay for my sins. I believe he arose from the grave. And since Jesus is alive, I want him to be my savior and my king. Give me the strength to live for you in Jesus' name, amen. If you just prayed that prayer, I wanna encourage you to let us know about it because we have a gift we would like to share with you. All you have to do is text PRAYED, P-R-A-Y-E-D, to 97,000. It's a book that I wrote some time back that will answer a lot of questions that will help you get started in your Christian faith. If you're here in the United States, just text PRAYED to 97,000 and we'll mail it to you. If you're outside the United States, text PRAYED to 97,000 and we'll send you an ebook. And we're so thankful that you joined us today. Stay tuned. Once again, thanks for listening. If you live in Wichita, the surrounding area, we'd love for you to engage with us in one of our weekend services. For directions, service times, and information about our incredible kids and student environments, visit us at newspring.org. One more time, newspring.org.